0: This podcast is for educational purposes only. The content of this podcast should not be used to diagnose, treat or cure any medical condition. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has a medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider or seek other professional medical treatment. Welcome to the Healthy Habit Hot Seat, where we chat to extraordinary humans and world-leading health experts to dive deep into the intricacies of the daily healthy habits that have shaped their success. Remember, success leaves clues, right? I'm your host and resident healthy habit coach, Loz Antonenko, and I cannot wait to help you re-energize your life so you too can create opportunity, vitality, and abundance to become the master of your own incredible healthy destiny. Now, let's get into today's conversation. Today, I talk with world-renowned author and breathing practitioner, Patrick McEwan. Suffering from asthma at an early age, heavily relying on medicines and inhalers, Patrick discovered the breathing techniques through the Buteyko method, giving him immediate relief from his symptoms. Patrick is a best-selling author and expert on the topic of optimal breathing for improved health, well-being and fitness. When he is not working from his home in Galway, Ireland, Patrick travels throughout Europe, USA and Australia teaching and training athletes and coaches. His message is simple, learn how you breathe at rest and during exercise and this will affect your overall performance. Learn to breathe correctly And see immediate results in your training. Hello there. Welcome to the Healthy Habit Hot Seat. I've got my amazing guest today, Patrick McEwen, and he is from the Buteco Clinic and is the author of several books to do with breathing overall health and vitality. And I just wanted to say, Patrick, I'm absolutely stoked to have you on the Healthy Habit Hot Seat today.
1: Great to be here. Thanks very much, Laz.
0: Thank you. And you are calling all the way from sunny Ireland.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I tell you one thing, it's far from sunny today. I'm even afraid to look out now. All I was hearing was rain pelting off the windows last night. So yeah.
0: So Patrick, I have a question for you. Imagine we were waiting in line at your favorite coffee shop And we've only got 30 seconds before your takeaway is ready. What would be your most important message for our listeners?
1: I think the most important message is don't live stuck in your head and connect with your breath.
0: I love that. I personally can resonate with that as somebody that's just discovered that I had probably the most dysfunctional breathing of anybody (laughs) that I knew. That is fantastic advice, mate. So as a child and as a teen, you suffered severely from nasal obstruction and quite debilitating asthma. You were medicated for this? I did yes. read somewhere.
1: So yeah, it's, it's like asthma is very common in some countries, including Australia. I think Australia has the second highest in the world. Right. Ireland is number four. Wow. Growing up as a kid, I had chronic bronchitis because doctors were afraid to diagnose asthma. So they diagnosed chronic bronchitis, but it's all of the symptoms of asthma And eventually then you're put on medication. And medication then was getting progressively worse and symptoms were getting progressively worse. But it's not just isolated to asthma because if you have asthma in the lungs, that inflammation of the lungs will travel up to the nose and vice versa. So doctors have always, like if you go into a hospital, you'll see a pulmonologist or a respiratory consultant for the lungs. And you'll see an ear, nose and throat surgeon for the nose. But there's no such thing as it, it, the nasal airway is not, isolated to their lungs it's one airway and it really doesn't make sense because whatever is going on in the lungs travels up to the nose and whatever is going on in the nose travels down to the lungs so people with asthma generally don't have inflammation isolated to their lungs their nose is often compromised this causes mouth breathing mouth breathing causes the inhalation of cold dry air into the lungs which is sucking moisture out of the lungs which is further contributing to narrowing of the airways but also sleep. So people with asthma, with nasal obstruction, they're 1.8 times more likely to have sleep problems. Well, wow. And also as asthma severity increases, so does obstructive sleep apnea. So you can't have a breathing disorder that's just affecting your breathing because the two things that's also affected with a breathing disorder are one is your sleep and the other is your emotions. So I often think there's three pillars. There's breathing, emotions, and sleep. And if your breathing is off, your emotions are off because you're in that fight or flight. And that's what mouth breathing is. Mouth breathing is fight or flight. If you're in a fight or flight, your sleep is off. If your sleep is off, your emotions are off. And if your breathing is off, your sleep is off. So it's all interconnected.
0: It makes so much sense. So as a young man, like how did mouth breathing affect your daily life?
1: It's, well, you just do it. You live with it. That's the way it is. You just accept it. You get on with it. You don't think about it, maybe, yeah, it's a bit of a pain in the ass, but you just keep going with it. I had a couple of hospitalizations, I had two, three hospitalizations. I really noticed afterwards it was my concentration which was affected the most. And this is so common with young kids in terms of children who are mouth breathing, who have sleep problems. And I can give you some statistics in terms of it. If a child has a sleep disorder breathing, even if they are just snoring, by the age of five and if it's untreated they are 40% more likely to have special education needs, 40%. Wow. If a child is snoring by the age of eight and untreated, they have an 80% chance of a permanent 20% reduction in mental capacity. Like this stuff is, when you start reading this and looking into it, it's beyond the charts.
0: Man, those statistics are quite frightening, aren't they? And just even seeing that paper, like what you were saying before about kids. It's
1: crazy. I, um, it's crazy. Laws Man. It's even more crazy because our healthcare professionals have totally overlooked it and totally ignored it. Yeah. With the exception of a few small groups of mainly dentists, not so much medical doctors. It's really, really bizarre. I was a kid growing up for 20 years with asthma and nobody told me once to breathe through my nose. Not one healthcare professional. And I actually find that amazing.
0: I can attest to that too.
1: Yeah. So I
0: know and what's fascinating is everybody as you sort of mentioned earlier like they all specialists they specialize in a certain bodily system and you know the body operates as a singular unit that has to function like a machine and if one part's broken then everything breaks and yes it's super frustrating when you get caught in the healthcare system yes because everybody's so busy looking after their own little parts that they forget how that integrates with the rest of the body yes.
1: Yes. And also having a multidisciplinary team is very difficult because people don't have the time. Totally. If I was a patient going to one person, and if that one person is going to refer me on to somebody else, and then I'm referred on to somebody else and referred on to somebody else, well, unfortunately, life has got too busy. But I'll come back to it. Like, mouth breathing and the effect of concentration was a huge one because kids are sitting in school, they're underperforming, and it's not because these kids are not intelligent. It's literally because they have so dreadful quality of sleep. Any of your listeners who wake up with a dry mouth in the morning, their sleep is impacted. And if your sleep is impacted, your concentration is impacted. And if your concentration is impacted, your mood is impacted. Because if you're not able to function on a day-to-day basis at any level, whether you're in the corporate world, sports world, just normal existence, we really need concentration, we need energy level, And quality sleep is important. And what's more, quality sleep, it's all about breathing through the nose. Mm. You know, sleep hygiene, yes, I understand all of that stuff, but let's get the mouth shut first.
0: Speaking of mouths being shut, at 26, you were working in corporate. Yes. Uh, You were really stressed and you had crappy sleep, as you've just sort of mentioned. And then you came across an article in a newspaper that said, close your mouth. Yes, pretty much. They basically told you to shut your mouth and breathe through your nose. Yep. You then hopped online, did some exercises, yes. and then this single little event became like this massive catalyst was change this. for you yeah. and started beginning your career as a practitioner and breathing. How did you manage to make that transition? What was actually going on for you at that time of your life? Because you said you were sort of just pushing through, you know, you were tired all the time, but obviously you did those exercises and you had a great sleep and all of a sudden it was like, okay, I'm onto something. So What else was going on for you at that time that, you know, made you sort of move into this as a career?
1: It didn't happen automatically that it moved into a career. I knew when I read the newspaper article and it described how breathing should be. It should be light and it should be in and out through my nose. My breathing wasn't that way. My breathing was hard and heavy. And even if you were sitting around a table of people, I would be the one there literally panting for breath. And people will say, well, it's because you've got asthma. Well, here's the problem. Asthma, of course, involves narrowing of the airways. So you feel more breathless. So you breathe harder, but it's your hard breathing that feeds back into the asthma. Right. So asthma is one of those conditions that feed in in itself. And the same with emotions, by the way, you know, it's the same. So in any event, I used a simple exercise to decongest the nose. It involves this, take a normal breath in through the nose normal breath out through the nose, pinch the nose, hold your breath, gently nod your head up and down for as long as you can. Did that a few times, nose started to open up. I had an operation on my nose in 1994 to alleviate nasal congestion, but the surgeon never told me to breathe through my nose afterwards. And I'll tell you one thing more. Kids who are having adenoidectomy and tonsillectomy for the treatment of sleep apnea, most of them, there is absolutely no follow-up they have a 65% chance of relapse within three years unless nasal breathing is restored. So it's only short term. And the other thing about adenoidectomy and tonsillectomy one, the efficacy of it was only discovered and investigated in 2010. That was the first time despite decades of adenoidectomy and tonsillectomy. Medical doctors didn't know the efficacy of it in 2010. They investigated it with 587 children and they found that 73% of those kids still had sleep apnea, post-adenoidectomy, and tonsillectomy. Yes, the AHI index, which is the apnea and hypopathy index, it dropped quite significantly. But 73% of them still had residual sleep apnea. So here's where functional dentists are coming in. The role of sleep in children is not with the medical doctor. It's with the functional dentist because it's about the airway.
0: Mm. And I think so many dentists, you know, I know with parents, for example, it's just a lack of education, understanding. I know like for myself, for instance, I remember being a child at 10, I'd lost all my baby teeth, was mouth breathing now that I think back. And I had orthodontics um, to straighten my teeth. And it was all about aesthetics. And I notice a lot of parents, they don't understand. They go to an orthodontist because the kids have gaps in their teeth.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: you know, years and yes. years ago, people didn't have crowded teeth. Yes, you know, orthodontics is quite new, and it, it's not about the function; it's about the form now. And functional dentistry really takes it a step further. It's like I think well, functional
1: dentistry is amazing. Way
0: to go! And yeah. you've got
1: some great guys in Australia. Dr. Derek Mahoney, he's in Ranwick there in Sydney. I know that Australians are big fans of the royal family. If you get a photograph of Prince William and Princess Kate. Get a photograph of the two of them together and maybe put it up in the podcast and count how many teeth can you see in both Prince William and Princess Kate. In William, you will see about six teeth when he smiles. You know then that he's a very small jaw and he doesn't have enough room for his tongue and you know then that he's likely to have a compromised airway. And Princess Kate is beautiful looking. And when she smiles, you'll see about maybe 10, 12 teeth. So... It's very important that the size of the mouth is able to house the tongue and that often doesn't happen, especially with modern orthodontics. As far as I know, William had orthodontics done and instead of the orthodontist saying, listen, we need to expand the jaw to make room for the teeth. yeah, right. William's orthodontist, as most traditional orthodontists will say, the teeth are too big, let's remove the teeth. Don't worry about the jaw. <laughs> so here's the school of thought. The traditional which is university trained, which is bizarre. The functional dentist is not university trained. The functional dentist, he or she has done dentistry and they've often done orthodontics, but they've changed careers. They've went down the functional path, which you don't learn in university. I have had orthodontists coming into me and they say, listen, we know all about this stuff, but I've just finished my training in orthodontic school and it's all about traditional orthodontics. Pull teeth, retract the jaws, make the jaws. And I'm not saying that all orthodontists are doing it, but it's more prevalent in the traditional orthodontists than not. And there's a 60 minute, I wrote a book with Dr. Mew about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I included an interview that was on 60 minutes. I think it's an Australian TV program. And Dr. Derek Mahoney was there. And I put the transcription of the interview. It's very, very interesting. It was this mother in Sydney who was going to different orthodontists And the orthodontists were saying that two or four teeth have to be removed. And the mother was saying, surely there must be another way to do this. And then she went to Derek Mahoney. And Derek Mahoney said, yes, we're going to widen the jaws to make room for your teeth. The kid will have the same teeth, a better smile, better development of the jaws, and more importantly, a better airway.
0: Yeah. The airway thing is definitely... I think something that people have no idea about because it's not something they can see without having a scan yes. to really see the impact of having a tongue that sits too far back or, you know, having a high palate. It's quite frightening. Yeah. As somebody that's actually going through what you've just described, I'm 34 yes, and I've only found this out this year. I have had so many health problems and it's like this is the last layer of the onion. It's it's so ridiculous your tongue sits so far in the back of your mouth, you literally have like this much airway left.
1: Yes, yes. And
0: it's it's interesting that so many children now have learning disorders and ADD is so prevalent, obesity, and it's like what's the long-term health ramifications of all of this stuff? It's so freaky. I was getting goosebumps when you were talking about that stuff before because I totally, I could relate to everything you're saying as somebody that's interviewing you. And I know that our listeners, there must be so many people out there right now listening to this going, oh my gosh, maybe this is the one thing that I haven't looked at. You know, I've had a sleep study and they've told me I had sleep apnea, but has anybody actually ever told me to breathe through my nose? You know, that's such an interesting little statement, you know, just shut your mouth and breathe through your nose and maybe things will work out. <laughs> If somebody is looking, so obviously the whole technique, yes, you know that's a really good place to sort of start with nasal decongestion. For somebody that wants to improve their health and understand how to optimize their breathing, is that the first thing you suggest that they try or do you suggest that they read something or see somebody? Is this something people can do at home?
1: Yeah, we've got different approaches like there's books there. I've included all the information. We've got a children's workshop that's completely free online. And we've just filmed another children's workshop. Right. And when that goes out, that's going out completely free. And we haven't held anything back. No exercises have we held back. So it's not a case of what you typically see is, oh, we'll give you a little bit of it and we'll try and sell you into the full version. (laughs) No, we're just giving you the full version because I think it's so crazy that the information is so simple that it hasn't got out there. I would say, uh, you know, if it's a parent or a child, we always start off with a very small exercise In the book, it's called Breathing Recovery, and it basically involves taking a breath in through your nose, a breath out through your nose, you pinch your nose, you count for five seconds, and then you let go and you breathe, and you breathe for 10 seconds, and then again, normal breath in, normal breath out, pinch, hold. And that's just to see how people cope with air hunger. Air hunger can be challenging for some people, and for persons prone to anxiety and panic disorder, it can be really, really, that fear of suffocation can put them into symptoms, So I start them off with an easy exercise, and then I go from that one generally into the nose and blocking exercise, and then I go from that one into functional breathing. And functional breathing is basically looking at breathing from three different dimensions. Like if you go to a yoga studio, oftentimes the yoga instructor will tell you to breathe using your diaphragm. So they're focusing mainly on the biomechanics of breathing. But biomechanics is only one aspect in terms of breathing, biochemistry is also very important and biochemistry refers to carbon dioxide in the blood. And most people are not aware of it, that carbon dioxide is not just a waste gas. The release of oxygen from the red blood cells is dependent on carbon dioxide. Now, how many times have we heard bring in a deep breath and fill your lungs full of oxygen. (laughs) So to get all of that oxygen into your blood and breathe out as much air as you can to get rid of all of that waste gas. Okay. Well, here's the reality of it. Number one is with normal breathing, your blood is already almost fully saturated with oxygen. If you breathe harder, you're not going to increase the saturation of your hemoglobin with oxygen. You will increase a little bit of oxygen dissolved directly in the blood, but your hard breathing is going to get rid of too much carbon dioxide. Mm. And when you lose carbon dioxide from the blood, your red blood cells don't release oxygen so readily to the cells, to the tissues. Right. So in actual fact, the hard breathing that's often been encouraged is causing reduced oxygen delivery to the tissues. So this is where we can become very isolated in our own little fields. And I'm coming back to the yoga instructor, and it's not to give an insult or anything, but you think of the yoga instructor focusing primarily on biomechanics. Sure. And in Buteco. We were focusing primarily on biochemistry and heart rate variability is focusing mainly on the cadence and no three tiers have come together. So my next book, which is going to be hopefully out next year,
0: fantastic.
1: it's almost written, but it's one of those things I thought the oxygen advantage was written. And then my book agent, he says, it's too complicated. He says, who is this for? And I said, it's for everybody. <laughs> and he says, nobody's going to understand it. You have to go back and write it, 60,000 words, as if you're talking to some guy down in the pub. Oh, my God. And say, yeah, thanks very much for that. (laughs) So that was a bombshell. So we'll see how this one goes. But literally, with breathing, if we can bring all three tiers together, and that's what I want to do. So with the biochemistry of the breath, I'm getting people to slow down their breathing to the point of air hunger. So we know that carbon dioxide then is increasing in the blood because the drive to breathe is CO2. Carbon dioxide is the stimulus to breathe. Now, when people start slowing down their breathing, and it's very simple, taking a really slow, gentle breath in through the nose and then having a very relaxed and slow, gentle breath out, carbon dioxide increases in the blood because the individual should be breathing less air. And as a result, they feel air hunger, but then they start to feel warmer because as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, their blood circulation increases and also the red blood cells start releasing oxygen to the tissues and also it activates the parasympathetic response so we bring in the biochemistry then we bring in biomechanics and here's where the nose is connected with the diaphragm now if you think of you'll think I'm giving out about every occupation under the sun here I started off giving out about dentistry (laughs) then I started off giving out about yoga and now I'm going to not give out about physiotherapy but I'm going to make this connection How many modalities are teaching students to breathe using the diaphragm, Mm. but they are not teaching nasal breathing. You can't activate the diaphragm effectively unless you breathe through the nose. The nose is connected with the diaphragm. The mouth is connected with the upper chest. And I always say to my students, look down at your chest and take a breath through the mouth. And mouth breathing is always going to be a shallow breath. Yeah. And when this comes to physical exercise, this is where I talk about the stupidity of mouth breathing during physical exercise. Mouth breathing reduces oxygen uptake in the blood, reduces oxygen delivery to the tissues, dries out the airways, it's inefficient, and it uses excess energy. And yet every person doing physical exercise is going around with their mouths open, even walkers.
0: I know, right? It's a no-brainer, and I think being able to spread this information to as many people as we can, it's going to start changing people's lives. And people that are training, I know so many elite athletes who – breathe through their mouth
1: (laughs) I think it's I would love to have a statistic on that I would say it's about 95% of all athletes
0: like what you've heard so far head on over to lozlife.com that's l-o-z-l-i-f-e dot com and download my five simple hacks to level up your life today now back to the show Plenty of people that will be listening to this have probably experienced, you know, some of this advice from people that they've been speaking to about, you know, diaphragmatic breathing and taking deep breaths. I know with Pilates, for example, you know, Pilates breathing is is in through the nose and a forceful breath out of the mouth. Yes. Which it's complicated, you know. People should be nose breathing all the time. Yes. You know, how can people start to shift that habit?
1: I think it's just to become aware of it. Mm. First of all is, say with young children, Young kids come into us and they're coming in with their mouths open. I want to find out why are they breathing through the mouth? And they can be breathing through the mouth either because of a habit. You know, there's nothing wrong with their nose. They just have a habit of mouth breathing. Mm. Or they can be breathing through their mouth because of an obstruction of the nose. And I need to find out where is the obstruction. With a kid, is it the front of the nose or is it the back of the nose? So right where the nasopharynx, there's lymphoid tissue there called adenoids. And if the adenoid tissue is enlarged, it can block the back of the airway. So we get kids in and I talk to them about the importance of nasal breathing first, and then we get kids to tape up. So I get the kids taping up and I start putting them through the exercises to open up the front of the nose. And I have the kids taped for about 40 minutes. And I want to see, can the kids sustain nasal breathing for 40 minutes? Because then I know that we can really make that change there. yeah. And with children then during the day, one of the big game changers for us was getting them to tape up during the day, especially when they are distracted, if they're watching TV, because neuroplasticity, when you're trying to form new neural pathways and you're trying to change a behavior, it doesn't change. A behavior doesn't change in 21 days. That's nonsense.
0: Mm.
1: A behavior takes about 60 to 70 days to change. So we need children. 66. 66, is it?
0: 66. Well, it's just between 60 and 70. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's cool. I didn't know it was 66. That's cool. So we need kids breathing through their noses during the day, each day, making the change to the habit. And I used to get frustrated. Like we'd give the kids different exercise. Kid would walk in a week later and the mouth is wide open and send them off again, putting them in so much attention onto the kid. Kid goes off again, mouth is closed, leaving the clinic, come back in a week later, mouth is wide open again and said, oh my God, what's happening here? So, you know what? That's the challenging part of it. Mm. Awareness can be one of those things. And now we say to the kids, listen, what's the most important question you need to keep on asking yourself? Are my lips together or not? And I tell them stories. You can imagine children in school now, and there's always one or two kids with head colds and the kids are coughing and spluttering. Well, I said, it's like this. If you see a child beside you and they're, if they're coughing and spluttering, they're coughing all of those germs out of their mouth into the air. And if you're sitting there with your mouth wide open, all of those germs are coming from that kid's mouth straight into your mouth because you have no defense. The mouth serves absolutely no function in terms of breathing. And I've had this debate with medical care professionals, doctors, telling me it was no difference whether you breathe it through the nose or through the mouth. Let's look at this way. Open up a medical textbook and look at the functions of the nose. And you'll see one of the functions of the nose is in moistening, filtering, regulating volume, warming the incoming air. Let's look at the functions of the mouth. Never will you see the function of the mouth as breathing. Mm. And our ancestors were nasal breathers. Our ancestors had really well-developed faces and airways. Neanderthals had very wide nostrils capable of handling large volumes of air and the human face is absolutely compromised and what's worse it's getting smaller and if the human face is getting smaller the airway is getting smaller and if the airway is getting smaller we have to wonder about survival of the species
0: Mm, mm, that's so valid you know as somebody that's been nose breathing now for 15 plus years that's how long you've been teaching and researching what would you say, as a nose breather, <laughs> has been your recent personal or professional highlight over the past twelve months?
1: Yeah, so I think this is that's been our switcher because this is solving a problem that we've been trying to solve for years.
0: Explain this. What is this for our listeners?
1: With children, especially, we need to get the mouths closed with kids, and we want to do it safely. And you know, since two thousand and two, we've been using paper tape across the lips. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we had a strip across this way and sometimes we went this way and other times we tried to get it up under the chin and around the lips and trying to do every way. There's always a small risk involved with taping kids' mouths and I'm trying to weigh it up. I'm trying to get children breathing through the nose because it's vital for their sleep. It's vital for their development. No child is going to reach their full genetic potential if they have their mouth open. I was the child with the mouth open. I was the mouth breather. My concentration was absolutely messed up. And for me to get grades, I was spending 10 to 12 hours a day studying. And it wasn't that I was stupid because my retention of information is pretty good. But how can you concentrate if your sleep quality is so poor? Mm. And we're sending these kids into school with poor sleep. And what's more, craniofacial development and everything. So the taping after some idea came into my head, and I said, "Okay, this seems to be a good idea." So we tested it, and it's kinesio tape. Now these are only the prototypes, and basically it's a tape, and you stretch it for about twenty to thirty percent, and you apply it around the lips. Doesn't look very attractive, but it's
0: like a duck bill.
1: <laughs> that's a good. That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> and there is a lot of pressure there. Bring the lips together, so we can have the kids taped up watching television during the day. But if they forget about it and if they open their mouth, the tape automatically reminds them to close their mouth. And also during sleep for kids, say, that are over four or five years of age, if the kid had to get sick or something like that during the night, they can simply open their mouth. So we're getting them out closed with minimal risk. And that was a great idea. It solved the problem that we have been trying to figure out for a long time.
0: That's a fantastic idea because there's nothing worse than somebody that tapes their mouth using micropore because it's quite inexpensive. Yes. It's a pain, like, and it's super unattractive <laughs> when you're sleeping next to somebody <laughs> and you've got tape over your mouth and that's what they wake up to, you know, and then you forget, you go to get a drink of water. And
1: yes, you know, yes. So, well, mate, that's, it's super unattractive, but it's probably more attractive than you sleeping there with the mouth open. <laughs>
0: I totally agree. And you know what? Since nose breathing, I have not been sick. My husband got influenza A on a plane and I didn't get it. And I normally am the first person to get sick. So definitely nose breathing is amazing and it does work. And that little device that you just showed us, so that prototype, I think definitely... People in our audience are going to be super keen to get on that. So we'll get some more information and put it in the show notes for sure. Sure.
1: It's not out yet, but we hope to have it in four weeks. Yeah,
0: great. That's why
1: I just have the prototypes at the moment.
0: Mate, that's awesome. And what an achievement for the last 12 months. So you sort of work all around the world as a breathing expert and have helped thousands and thousands of people with breathing disorders, stress, disordered sleep, anxiety, and poor concentration improve the quality of their lives pardon the pun, but you live and breathe your purpose every single day by living life to your highest values as an educator. You've worked as a breathing advisor for some of the world's leading athletes, which you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Who are the people you actually surround yourself with in your support network, in your closest circle of influence? Who do you sort of hang out with? what kind of people? It's
1: funny, but I'm actually a loner right. to some degree. I'm very much of an introvert, even though I make my living from talking. I live in the middle of nowhere in the most rural environment. If you were to Google Buteco Clinic, and if you see the location of it, I have a studio that's beside my house, but it's not my house, but it's beside it. And you'll see that we are literally in the middle of nowhere.
0: <laughs> I love it. A lot
1: of the information that I get I'm pretty much self-driven because I found something that I like to do. Amazing. And this probably ties back to the question that you asked at the very start. I came across breathing, but it was about two to three years later that I actually changed careers. I stayed in my profession. And during that time, though, I was kind of learning information and more information about breathing But it was when I was driving, I was driving from Galway to Navan, which is one side of Ireland to the other, which is only about two hours anyway. And an idea came into my head that I have to start teaching it. And the idea, it really, really felt strong. Logically, it didn't make sense because I had finished a master's in economics and business and social sciences. And now I was switching total careers, going from a field of business to a field of respiration. But in hindsight, I realized I did the wrong degree. I think <laughs> if you find something that you absolutely love to do, and I think we were chatting about it earlier on, it's really instrumental because you will advance your field because you keep on delving and looking for more information yeah. and you do it naturally. Like, I love picking up a book and breathing and going through it and seeing what other people are writing and reading articles and reading journals. I love it. And, you know, so you're doing something for the love of it and this will transmit into your work. So I suppose who are the people that I would be around most of the time? I try to keep now most of my time. If I have free time is for family, it's because the life on the road is crazy. I just have it by accident is my diary here with me. This here was my 2019 diary. And this is pretty much traveling around the world. But what's worse, here's my 2020 diary. And this
0: <laughs> I love it is
1: booked up until 2021. And yesterday, <laughs> I just had to say to two people I can't go to, Amazing. they were asking about travel in 2021. So this is where it's got. Breathing is very hot now. And it's not just taking any sort of old breath in and out through the mouth or in through the nose. Mm. Out to the mouth. And also, laws. I think it's very important to realize that it's about our breathing outside of the clinic. It's about our breathing outside of the Pilates studio. It's about our breathing outside of the yoga studio. How do you breathe when you're walking down the street? How do you breathe when you get into stress? And how do you breathe when you sleep? How do you breathe when you're watching TV? Mm. How do you breathe reading a book? You know, it's about your everyday breathing. Because ultimately, breathing is that aspect that It influences your blood circulation. It influences delivery of oxygen from the blood to the tissues. But the third dimension of breathing, which we didn't go through, is cadence breathing. And this is changing the respiratory rate down to 5.5 to 6 breaths per minute. And this is the ideal respiratory rate to help restore autonomic nervous system. So any system which is disturbed by stress... And this is really where the research is at, this optimal cadence of 5.5 to 6 breaths per minute, because people who are unwell, either emotionally or physically, they can have what's called poor sensitivity of the baroreceptors. And baroreceptors are basically pressure receptors located in the major blood vessels. And our body needs to be resilient. Like everybody is using that word resilient, but what does resilience mean? Resilience means that you can cope with the environmental changes that the body is strong at you. Yeah. You know, you can cope with any changes life demands, environmental changes etc. But the sensitivity of your baroreceptors, how your body reacts to changes of blood pressure is a very good indicator of the activity and how well you're coping with what is your resilience like. You can increase the sensitivity of your baroreceptors by slowing down your breathing to six breaths per minute. Mm. But you also increase oxygen uptake. You also increase heart rate variability, which is the time between heartbeats. You also improve respiratory sinus arrhythmia. And this has been known. Respiratory sinus arrhythmia has been known for about 200 years. Therapists would come to a patient and they would put their hand on the patient's pulse. And the therapist would see, is there a synchronicity between the pulse and the breath? So when we think of our breathing, the breath in is a sympathetic activation and the exhalation is parasympathetic, which is kind of more rest and digest.
0: Digest. Yeah. So
1: sympathetic is more kind of active and parasympathetic is a passive. When we breathe in, our heart rate should speed up. And when we breathe out, our heart rate should naturally slow down. So the time between heartbeats is both random and in rhythm and people who have good functioning of the autonomic nervous system, which is indicating a good balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic response. Mm. We don't want to be too stuck in sympathetic and fight or flight. We don't want to be too parasympathetic in rest and digest. We want to be in that balance that we can cope. And this is where the six breaths per minute comes in. And if you look at the research for anxiety, for post-traumatic stress disorder, for depression, for irritable bowel syndrome, for asthma, for COPD. This is where the research was in. But I also personally think it's not just enough to do cadence breathing. That's where the biochemistry, the biomechanics and cadence breathing coming in. And that's where the next book is going to be focusing on functional breathing, looking at all of that. I see. And we do breath holding as well as a stressor for the body you know, to open up the nose, to increase blood flow to the brain, like the breath is just, it's amazing really the potential of it when we tap into it. And when we tap into it to the detail, that what can offer individuals. Every breath that you take into your body, so much of that air is going to stay in your nose, in your throat, in your bronchi, in your bronchioles. And it doesn't even get into the air sacs for gas exchange to take place. By simply slowing down your breathing, You take less breaths per minute. By taking less breaths, you're not wasting as much air and dead space. So you're increasing alveolar ventilation. And I can use it in the example of this guy was having a heart attack in a hotel and the Irish nurses come over to him and they started saying to him, start taking these full big breaths, big breaths, big breaths, shallow breaths, big breaths. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, these girls are going to kill him. But in any event, I didn't intervene because I'm not the medical doctor and these are medically qualified. So unfortunately that's the way it is you know
0: look there's no doubt you've created quite an extraordinary life as somebody that's very very passionate about what it is that they do just to close off this interview what would be your top three tips to living a fulfilling and purposeful life
1: I would say to people education has taught us how to think and it has taught us how to reason to decipher to break information into tiny pieces And it has developed the mind into a very sharp, highly analytical tool. But it's not just enough to teach people how to think. If you teach people how to think, you need to teach them how to stop thinking. Mm. And one way to stop thinking is to give the mind a rest is to connect with the breath. Never believe that the more you think, the more beneficial it is. You need to have control over the mind. And people will say they have control over their mind. Okay, I say, okay, switch off your mind. I'd like you to stop thinking. And how long can you stop thinking for? And they will find that thoughts will come back in after one or two seconds. When we're doing breathing exercise, I really need people to focus on their breath. And I want them to have their full attention on their breathing and also to use this as a measure of their concentration. If the mind is very agitated, It's very difficult to focus on the breath. And I tell these people, you will get even more out of this. Keep focusing on the breath. So my top tip is focus on your breathing and don't live stuck in your head. And most of society in the Western world, they are absolutely asleep. They are stuck in their head. How can you live life if you're stuck in your head? And I've done it. I remember 20 years, I'd walk down a street. I wouldn't see any of the street. I'd walk into beautiful scenery. I wouldn't see any of it because I was just ruminating, just thinking, thinking, thinking. Yeah. And we need to change that and we can do it through the breath. Yeah, it's a little bit frustrating because the mind wanders off, you bring it back. The mind wanders off, you bring it back. But then give it time. The second aspect I'd say is nose breathing is essential to that because nose breathing is slow breathing and slow breathing has a calming effect on the mind. This was identified by Stanford Medical School. In March of 2017, they found out about a new structure in the brain in the locus corollis and they said it's spying on your breathing. If you breathe fast, the mind gets agitated. And if you breathe slowly, the mind calms down. Mm. And the third aspect is diaphragmatic breathing because diaphragmatic breathing is also connected with the emotions. So Bordoni is a researcher and that's why people say take a deep breath They are correct when they talk about taking a deep breath, but often in the process, they sacrifice the biochemistry of breathing. But biochemistry is about ensuring blood flow and oxygen delivery to the brain. So if you're taking a deep breath, it should be a light breath. And if you want to go one step further, do slow, light, and deep breathing. Or sometimes I say to the students of the 1990s, it's light, slow, and deep breathing. And an easy way for you to remember it is, lsd <laughs> so they have no problem with that one
0: i love it mate <laughs> well done <laughs> on that note <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on the healthy habit hot seat we'll catch of with you next time or the next episode where we're going to dive really quickly and deeply though lsd Long, long, slow and deep. No, <laughs> into light,
1: in. light, slow and deep. Light,
0: slow and deep into some of your healthy habits. Thank you so much, Patrick, and um, talk to you soon.
1: Cool. Thank you, Lars.
0: Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Healthy Habit Hot Seat. Make sure to visit loslife.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd be stoked with a five star rating on iTunes. Better still, tell a friend and share the love. If you loved this episode, you might want to check out my book, The Healthy Habit Handbook, available in softcover, ebook, and audio form on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Balboa Press and all good bookstores. Be sure to tune in for our next episode for your fortnightly dose of inspiration from some of the world's most successful and healthy lifestyle masters. Remember, stay inspired. I'm Loz Antonenko and ciao for now.